0: Cross Street Coaching. This is a show about personal, professional development, leadership, all from a coach's point of view. And today we are moving forward with our Reluctant Entrepreneur Series. And today we're actually live. Yeah. Hello. With my co-host, Diana Ideas, Master Coach. Hey guys. And we also have a fellow Hawthorne Union member. What, what?
1: <laughs> it's uh it's David Malitz You may recognize my voice from earlier podcasts.
0: David has been on a previous episode, but he is joining us on The Reluctant Entrepreneur today to talk about some of his interests and his slant, which his wheelhouse is uh is in sales. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a passion of mine and
1: Something I, uh, I love to, to talk about with others because I think it's so, so important on an everyday basis.
0: So when we think about sales for the reluctant entrepreneur, it primarily revolves around maybe confidence or how people are presenting their product and their brand out in the workplace. So what if we just start there? And what would you think about that? The reluctant entrepreneurs are flavor of basically business and business ownership you know i I think that
1: for most people the the biggest uh the biggest concern that they have is that sales is not their their cup of of tea It's not their forte and i I really try to remind people that sales has been around for uh, you know, forever, it's the, the oldest profession in the world. And it's something that we do on a day-to-day basis without even knowing that we do. So as long as we get behind that fact and understand that, like, it's so important for us as an entrepreneur to be able to sell ourselves and sell our, our services or our product or our, uh, know, our goods, if you will. Um, it's, it's so important in order for us to stay afloat and be able to be successful that it's, it's kind of
0: like grab the bull by the horns and let's ride. For a lot of our reluctant entrepreneurs, they're primarily starting from a place of either solo entrepreneurship or very, very small groups. And that type of sales can feel sometimes icky or Mm -hmm. like being pushy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I've been in sales for 20, I want to say like 24, 25 years, something like that. And
2: He started when he was poor.
1: <laughs> I wish, I wish. I'm an old man now. Um, I, I've been in sales for a very, very long time and, and I felt the same way too. But I, I realized that if we are authentic in how we approach people, Um, and try to really do our, our best to solve a problem and help, uh, fulfill the need of the individual or the company or whoever it is that we're talking to versus just trying to push our own goods or services that aren't necessarily a fit. It's not as icky. It's more of a, uh, it's more of a, uh, it's more of a helping mentality and, and that makes things a lot easier.
0: From my perspective, a lot of it comes from the very, very classic mentality, right? That someone's wearing a blazer with shoulder pads, very, very used car salesman. Although we know that those stereotypes, just like we've dismantled the entrepreneur stereotype, has those things have been gone for years now, but some things kind of still remain. So what do you think for people that are just starting to get into business, right? They're, they're a reluctant entrepreneur. So they have this idea, they have a passion and they're just getting into business, but feel this hesitation about sales. What do you think still drives that factor that makes them so hard to equate an an equitable value to the product or service that they're offering in the marketplace? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And I, and I do, I,
1: I still think that there's a, a need and a fit for for some people to, you know, wear the blazer and the or the suit and the tie and and, and the elbow pads. In the elbow pads exactly. Well, that's more of a that's more of a history professor in college, right? Don't you think?
0: That or a car salesman? I mean neither one. I, I
1: don't know. I don't know if I would ever buy a car from a car salesman with uh with elbow pads.
0: But I
2: think they're coming back. They might be. Watch they to might. My be.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um I don't know uh but you know I think there's a need for that for some particular types of businesses I think that for a lot of entrepreneurs though i mean we're we're kind of getting into the more business casual stage where it's like you know we're not we're gonna let the product the service the company itself sell itself and and I think that that's the most i think that that's the most important part of of uh of sales is to let the let the Business talk for itself. The the. Let me back up a little bit here, and I apologize. I got a little distracted, but um, when you're talking about sales, the most important part of it is to have confidence in yourself and understand that what you're doing is really supportive of the of the need of the individual that you're talking to. So let's take for example coaching. Right, um, you know we're talking to a lot of people that are that are. Uh, you know, out there that understand that you know what yeah, i'm I'm very passionate about what I do, but I n- might not know exactly how to get to the next steps in my career, or I don't necessarily know how to lead and manage in the way that I'd like to. How can I do that? Well, if you're a coach uh and and you're looking to to improve somebody else's life, like you need to be confident and 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 be able to go out there and say like listen." The advice that I'm able to provide you is gonna is gonna change your life in a positive way and um and if it's not like let's continue to work together to make sure that that happens, you know so I, I think confidence is really really the the important part,
2: yeah, and I'll just speak to the fact that David was super helpful for me in helping me see how essential sales was for the business, and the thing is is that we've talked about. In reluctant entrepreneur, why people might not be entrepreneurs, but this is, I think, some of what we have to look at is the skills that they need. And as far as skills that they need, or if you don't have this skill, it's something that you need to outsource. But whether it's, you know, David talks about Zig Ziglar, transfer of enthusiasm, yeah. having that confidence. Um, if someone is not selling your product, you will not be successful as an entrepreneur. And I know that that's really terrifying to people in all sorts of fields, because regardless of, you know, usually that's not why someone chooses to be an entrepreneur, like, oh, I want to sell. But the sales, the marketing, um, you know, for some people distribution, these we're getting into, we've talked some about limiting some of the limiting beliefs and identity and things like that. But the sales gets into also essential services.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that, you know, one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs need to think about is the fact that, like, you have a an, an amazing idea. Maybe it's a product, a, a, or maybe it's your coaching service, or maybe it's it's a you know it, it's something that you're passionate about, and that's great. But you can't just sit back and let people come to you. You have to actively go out there and, and try to find that business. Otherwise, uh, you're going to spend a lot of time and investment, uh, and and possibly money supporting your dreams not to have anybody purchase into it.
0: I think one of the things that are difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs is around pricing and valuation of their products. Okay. There is a lot of hesitancy around overvaluating their products. So the compensation comes in the form of extremely undervaluing, especially in if you're offering professional services or in the creative mm-hmm. sector where it's very subjective where you can get, if you're a photographer, you can absolutely get a framed photograph from Target for $40. But your handmade, handcrafted um, print that's framed by you, you could value at $200. But people are like, oh, will they pay that when you can get something so much cheaper at a big box store? So, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put pressure on people. So they the tendency is to go to a very undervaluation. How do people start to kind of even frame their mind around this automatic discounting and then finding a true valuation of where their product or service should be at? No, that's a, that's a, uh,
1: such a, a, a great, great question. Right. So I, I thought of like some of the Instagram, posts that I've seen out there where people are like creating these really amazing, uh, products that they make by hand. And it's taken them years and years and years to perfect that art. And they, they, you know, I think there's a, there's a song that goes along with it or whatever. It's like, I charge this much because it took me a long time to learn it. Something along those lines. Right. And it's, it's almost as if like, like you have to kind of, have confidence, confidence in yourself, and a belief in yourself that it is. It, you've put in the time, you put in the effort, and yeah, you can go to. A mass retailer like a Target and spent and spend $40 on a framed photo that a thousand other people have, but to have a one-of-a-kind artistic approach and an eye where you've spent all this money on the photography equipment and you've you've you know gone out there and you spent hours and hours and hours waiting for that one particular shot and then you get it, like have confidence in yourself. The minute you start to the minute you start to devalue yourself you become um, you become devalued as a as an individual contributor or as as an individual itself and or an entrepreneur and the worst thing that you can do is like underprice yourself because then it's 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 infinitely harder to get back to where you actually deserve to be so let's take coaching for example right i've spoken to coaches in the past that have valued themselves in the hundreds of, of dollars an hour And that's because of the amount of time and hours that they put into crafting their uh, their service and the amount of education they they put into it. And doctors do the same thing. They get paid a, an extreme amount of money because of the fact that they've, they've gone through all of this education in order to be the leaders in their field. So the last thing you want to do is say, Hey, yeah, I'll give you this coaching uh for $50 an hour because, you know, six months, a year down the road, when you finally start to have that confidence that you can do what you're, what you say you can do and you try to increase the price on that. Yeah, uh, now you've kind of you've kind of set yourself at a at a disadvantage because people are going to be like, "Well, you were only charging fifty dollars an hour before. Why are you two hundred dollars now?"
0: So we've been talking theoretically about coaching, Diana, as a coach. How do you value your professional services as part of Hawthorne Union?
2: So, what I tell my coaching students is that pricing is made up. And it's really about one. I think you need to know what the market will bear. You need to know where you stack up with your competitors. But a lot of what Dave is talking about is confidence. What are you comfortable charging? So even from a coaching a Hawthorne union, we could charge a lot more than we do. Um, If I wanted to stand in line and say, Hey, with other coaches that charge that rate, I know that the market bears those rates. However, it's, that's a choice that I make. So I th- I think, you know, as we look at and think about what's your time worth, um, what are you also, what do you also have the confidence? Because the thing is, is that from a sales perspective, the confidence is not just putting the price out there. It's being able to stand behind it. So it's like, what price can you stand behind? Um, what packages can you stand behind? How can you hold, confidence. Um, you know, it's, if I lived in a larger city, uh, if my prices are were what they are now, then I wouldn't be taken seriously. I'd have mm-hmm. act to actually mm-hmm. increase those prices. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then there's other, there's other markets where we may or may not be competitive. So I think I'm not saying that sales is only about pricing. Oh, absolutely not. But I think no. that that becomes, that becomes almost the kind of manifestation of, okay, how does an entrepreneur sell? How do you get that money in? And and what you have to think about is all the things that go into it. Like as David was talking about the training and things like that, but it's in addition is if you are, if you are a coach and you're only going to coach a couple people a year, or if you're going to be working However many hours, you know, or if it's an actual product and there's time that goes in, I think, I think what's difficult about my transition from the corporate life to the entrepreneur life is that in when you're working for a business, you get paid regardless like, yes, you have work to do. You may or may not reach your goals. Um, but your paycheck doesn't necessarily change from the entrepreneur perspective. You can do the best work of your life. You can produce the best thing you've ever produced. Um, but if you don't sell it or you don't know how to sell it and people don't buy it, (laughs) you, you don't necessarily make any money. True. Uh, So I think Jason, I don't know if that addressed kind of your question, but that's some of what's coming up for me.
1: The other, the other thing I was just thinking about was also kind of pricing yourself out of the market. Right. Um, and, and, in doing so, in order to say, okay, um, I'm going to offer this service or this product at this rate, but you know what? I'm going to give you a discount of this because I like you. Or you try to do that because you want the the client or the customer to feel like you know you're doing a special privilege for them. But really, in hindsight, being 2020, or from a customer perspective, it devalues what you're providing to them, and they they sit there and they say, well, why would you say it's it's listed at this price, but then offer me a discount for no reason. You know what I mean?
2: And I, I think that's for myself. It's that I used to have a friends and family rate or a referral rate as a coach because I do like the, in the spirit of re- reciprocity and relationships mm-hmm. and things like that to be able to. But the thing is, is that then the friends and family rate just became my rate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and then it's like, well, um, all these, you know, it, it can feel – incongruous to charge one person, one thing and another person, another thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the thing is, is that what I would say, at least from my own experience is that my prices changed over time, Mm -hmm. um, as my confidence changed as my experience grew. Um, so it's, but then also from a sales perspective, um, David really helped me, focus more on it being about relationships and how can I provide value? Because some of what Jason was talking about with the icky feeling, if you feel like, oh, I have a product and this is my worth, and you may not want this product, it it just brings up a lot of identity and imposter syndrome and just discomfort. Yeah, but if you think instead about this being a relationship or having a service of value or something people need, I think it, it can be a little bit easier.
1: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a firm believer and, um, you know, I, will stand by this for, for as long as I, as, as, I can. But, um, if you're offering a service or product that you don't believe in, or you don't stand behind at all, um, it becomes a very icky situation where you're just selling it in order to make money, uh, make a buck, if you will make money, uh, in order to drive revenue versus, Believing in what you have is going to be a good solution for people.
0: So our reluctant entrepreneur, they get past the price tag, right? They believe in the product. They have the passion. And now they go out into the marketplace. They start presenting it to people. What's the next thing that they need to know in order to be successful at sales?
1: when i talk about my sales training uh the first thing i always address is how to present yourself and that is the elevator pitch it's it's how to um you know really quickly and succinctly talk about what it is that you're offering and why you're doing it Not just like, oh, here's what I do, but more like, why are you passionate about this particular thing? Why do you stand behind this product? Why do you stand behind this service or this offering that you have? Because if you're able to do that and do it in a way that makes other people excited about it, it's going to drive that conversation forward so much more aggressively, and it's going to make you feel a lot more comfortable about what you're offering. So I would always recommend doing, uh, you know, doing a lot of work on your elevator pitch, and um, I talk about it in three different ways. It's it's what have you done in the last? Well, first off, you want to thank them for for talking with you, right? Give give you the time of the day, um, and then. And then spend the next, you know, thirty seconds or whatever it is, to talk about why you're so passionate about it. What made you get into what it is you're doing? And then the last part of it is, of course, to ask for that um, that next step, that um, that action item. Can we meet for coffee? Can we talk a little bit more about what I'm what I'm doing here and see if it's a good fit for you? Or you know, does this sound like something that you might be interested in?
2: So I'm curious. You know, knowing that you, you've you built a successful career in sales is something mm-hmm. you're very comfortable with. What do you wish you had known at the beginning? Because a lot of our reluctant entrepreneurs or people listening to this are just kind of choosing to embark or the embarking is new or not sure whether or not they want to go on this journey. So when you think about your own kind of sales knowledge, what do you wish you knew?
1: I have to think back to like, you know, when I was in my teens and early twenties and stuff like that. Um, I would say that for me, like understanding that, that every single day is a new day is probably the, the, the thing that helps me kind of get through the process. Right. It's like, you're going to have a conversation with somebody. You're either going to get them excited about it, or they're going to say, you know what? It's not a great fit for me. And regardless of what happens, like you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Um, are you going to, um, you know, is, is, is it the end of the world? No, absolutely not. Could it possibly be a great paycheck for you? Absolutely. So just being able to kind of be resilient and understand that people are going to say no to you and slam a door in your face or hang up the phone or tell you not to call them and not take it personally. And then be able to just have that next call and keep going from there is uh, is, is huge. Absolutely huge.
2: And what tips do you have in the face of that? Because what you just described I think can be so terrifying for people that they may not embark upon this journey at all. So what helped you with that?
1: Um what helped me with that is knowing that the people that are close to me, the people I build relationships with, um they care about me. They they like me. They they you know some people love me, you know, and um at the end of the day, those people are still going to be there no matter if somebody says no to me or somebody decides not to move forward with my product or my, my service. And, and they're going to be okay with who I am because they know that I'm doing something that I love and, and I'm supporting a uh, you know, I'm supporting myself and doing something that I'm passionate about.
0: Yeah.
2: Thank you. And I think it's, I think it's interesting to hear the themes of some of the themes we've talked about on the show is identity Mm -hmm. confidence identity support you know we're looking at community and having you on the show kind of bringing bringing in our community um so i'm hearing a lot of those things as as it comes up and i think part of looking at it is if it feels like oh sales is a scary thing and the scary other and i don't know how to do it and i don't know how to get there then that can be difficult for people to broach
1: it is it's it's a scary scary thing yeah, absolutely.
2: But if it's we're looking at, you know, hey, this is part of the job. We're maybe building muscles that we don't have, um but it's it's possible. It's possible to get there. And then, you know, looking at the support systems, I think that that you're you're tying it into in a more holistic way mm-hmm. than I know when I was thinking about it or when I was learning, and it just felt. Like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to ask these questions.
1: I think one of the things that was was really helpful for me was being able to talk to people who had experienced some of the same things I've gone through. And having those coaches or mentors be able to, be able to really um associate with what I was going through and support me and say, you know what, this is how things are sometimes. Sometimes you're gonna have a, a flat month where you're trying your best and maybe you should step back a little bit and reevaluate where you're coming from. But um ultimately it's it's a matter of if you're trying to build your business, if you're trying to sell your product or your service in and drive revenue, like you've got to be able to wake up every morning and say, This is something that's
0: helping others and continue to hit the ground running. So in the coaching world, it's very, very common to hear like, you got a niche. You got a niche. You got to get really, really specific on who you're selling to. And you have to like very zero in because there's so many. There's so many coaches and there's so many things. So you got to get very, very specific on doing that. However, and we actually heard this earlier today so we are we're at we're here in boston and we we're, we're at a conference and we were hearing the same thing today that this person had a niche however that's not been true for us yeah um at hawthorne union so i'm curious mr david malizia what is your opinion on this idea of maybe getting a little bit over technical as far as Entering into sales and feeling like you have to be in a very, very narrow field of view.
1: Yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree that that's how things need to be. If you think about human beings, we're all different. We all have different experiences, different backgrounds, different personalities, different humor, different um, upbringings, uh, motivations, whatever you want to call it. Right. And each individual person is going to have a, have a different experience with a coach. If we understand how to ask the right questions, if we understand how to continue the conversation forward and to, to continue to try to be innovative in our approach, I think that we can be, we can be able to not be as niche, but still be able to solve the problem that's in front of us, you know? And again, as a coach, our job is not to, not to solve a problem. It's to help our clients solve the problem themselves. So asking those questions helps them to, to pull it out of themselves. What's the real underlying issue that I'm experiencing here? And then, and then how do I come up with some sort of resolution or action item to help solve it? Um, as a salesperson, you know, It comes down to understanding who your buyers are, who your personalities are, the type of person you want to be talking to. And if, if you talk to somebody and they are a perfect candidate, but they are saying, you know what? I don't know that this is necessarily the case. You know what? Let's, let's throw our hands up in the air and say, you know what? I agree. Let's, let's move on to this, to this. Let's stay friends. We don't have to move. We don't have to, you don't have to buy this particular thing because that takes a lot of the pressure off of both people. To understand that, like I'm not going to push something on you that is not a good
0: fit for you, because I I just I'm trying to help you. So for those that are not selling professional services and they're maybe doing something more tangible, mm-hmm. like a creative, uh, how do they even start to identify who their target buyer is without overly limiting who they should sell to?
1: You really have to kind of address your market a little bit and. Figure out who the best people are that you're going to be talking to. Mm -hmm. Understand your buyer personas. How do they purchase? Why would they purchase? Um, You know, stuff along those lines. And I will give a shout out to, am I allowed to talk about? Shout it out. Shout Shout uh, it out, baby. HubSpot actually does a really great job of teaching. I thought
2: you were going to shout out your own training. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I mean,
1: but I talk about buyer personas as well in my training, but, um, uh, HubSpot has a really, really great, um, uh, you know, great piece around how to create a buyer persona. And it's to kind of create this person. Like you, you can really kind of figure out the approach that you're going to take with those people, but also how to overcome some of the objections that they might have as well.
2: I'm curious what you would say to the person who kind of has hives and even thinking about this being a possibility.
1: You know, if it's something that you're so adverse to, um, you know, I I, I say try to break out of your comfort zone a bit. Maybe start by doing things in your life that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but might be growth opportunities. You know, maybe it's not a matter of trying to sell something, but maybe it's a matter of calling your credit card company and asking for a lower interest rate or a higher uh, credit limit. Maybe it's a matter of, you know, calling your airline uh, for a future flight and saying, Hey, um, I'm a member. Can I get an upgrade? Something along those lines, because just asking the questions, over and over again, are going to make your, make your life, um, number one, a little bit easier to live because the answer could either be no or yes, you know, and, and going from there, it's easier for you to ask for things from other people that are going to drive revenue for your company. Um, so yeah, I I think that's, that's, that's a good one. Yeah.
2: And I think, I think that's important and, and kind of ties into what we talked about with risk you know, the importance of being able to take the step and take the risk. And I think, I think some of what's coming up for me and, you know, David supported me in this journey. So saw a lot of the progression, but I think sometimes just, just recognizing like, Hey, this scares me and looking it in the face and then saying, okay, but what tools, what tactics, what support do I have to do it anyway. And then having those safe spaces mm-hmm. where, you know, if, If the credit card company doesn't waive your late payment or give you a credit line increase, like that's a, that's nobody's going to (laughs) know, right? It's a relatively low tolerance, uh, sorry, low kind of risk, um, opportunity. So, um, you know, I think some of, some of what we talk about on this show is to figure out like, Hey, what are your patterns? What are your behaviors? How is it serving you? But some of, some of what I think is important about sales is what are you going to try um and a lot of times i think that people are are better at selling other people's products so that may even be something that people are more comfortable with like ask the people who care about you and believe in you like why why they should buy yeah and then using their words like yeah, i i think they're i think a lot of times entrepreneurs or just in general people feel like oh i'm the only person who's struggling with this i'm the only person who has a hard time with this but you know, we advocate for someone else with more gusto, with more enthusiasm. Yeah. So just looking at kind of if you're afraid to sell your product, what would your best friend say? What did you, what would your spouse say? What would your parents say? What would the people who support you say? And then can that even help you with your pitch?
1: A couple of things. Number one, you're not alone. Like everybody, I, even myself, like I have insecurities and I feel, I feel the, uh, I feel the, um, you know, the, the the fear sometimes that, you know, maybe maybe I'm not as good as I think I am or, or whatever it is. And then I have my friends and my family and, and people I've worked with that are like, no, you're amazing. You can do this. So always rely on your inner circle to support you in that and give you that confidence and believe them because they're not going to tell you something that's not true. That's number one. Number two, if you get to a point where you're just you're trying and you're trying and you're trying to. To close business and be in a sales role in your, in your, in your entrepreneurship. And, and you're just finding that it's so, so difficult and you can't do it. There's other people that can. It's it's okay to bring in other consultants or other coaches that can that can do this type of work for you. Uh, nobody's going to look down on you because you're like, hey, look, sales is not my forte. I'm an innovator. I'm I'm more of a more of a tech person. I don't necessarily love the confrontation that comes with negotiating. Whatever it is, like be okay with with asking for the support. But I always suggest doing it first because that's going to provide the most value for you and confidence in the long
0: run. Now, David. Some people may say awesome. <laughs> that, okay, you know what scares me? Clowns scare me. Um, playing the drums in front of people scare me. What does it have to do with opening my cold brew coffee stand or with offering HR consultancy? They're not seeing the connection between things that scare them in sales. They're like, those are, those are completely two different things. Mm-hmm. What is, in your belief, the big takeaway from asking their credit card company for these increases which seems very relevant between like the scarcity and the um the fear-based kind of mindset the soft skills that you're after
1: yeah so i mean just the activity of asking for things that are outside your comfort zone and realizing that a lot of times if you ask a favor if you say to somebody hey can you do me a favor would you mind extending my my uh my uh, checkout time from ten to one o'clock, and and not having to pay for it, um, they'll give it to you. Like a lot of times that happens, and you realize like, okay, if I just ask nicely, if I'm if I'm able to kind of do something that makes me feel uncomfortable, maybe I'll get what I'm looking for um that provides you more confidence the more you do something the better you feel i i remember when i was first learning how to drive i was terrified white knuckle driving down the road now if i get in the car i don't even think about what i'm doing the more you do something the more comfortable you get doing it right so that's number one but um i think the underlying uh fear that 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 you're talking about is not necessarily like If I play the drums in public or I'm afraid of clowns because clowns are scared, whatever it is. It's more of if I do this and I fail, other people are going to ridicule me or I'm not good enough to succeed. And that that imposter syndrome of I've got this great idea. I've got this this I'm really passionate about this, but I'm I'm afraid I'm not good enough is. The thing that's going to prevent most people from really excelling in what they do. And as long as you have that support system that I talk about all the time, um, as long as you continue to kind of practice and, and put
0: yourself out there a little bit more and more and more, um, I think you can overcome that yourself. The last part for me, as far as diving into those uncomfortable scenarios, you're going to get rejected. Absolutely. People are going to say no. Yeah. And that's very much a reality for the life of the reluctant entrepreneur, which is they're going to offer a product and not everyone is going to buy. Absolutely. Not everyone is going to say yes. And that's okay. But initially, when you start doing that, it feels very bad, and it feels like a negative sign, like, ooh, this was a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't be selling this, or there's something wrong with my product. There's something wrong with my pitch. And, and that's and there,
1: there could be something wrong with your pitch, your presentation. There could be, and it's okay for you to evaluate those things. Um, I think one of the anecdotes that I learned when I was in my early 20s was a a good salesperson is somebody who goes and knocks on a door, gets the door slammed in their face, goes and has a cup of coffee and evaluates what they did wrong and then goes to the next door and has that door slammed in their face and then goes to get a cup of coffee and think about what they did wrong. While a great salesperson gets the door slammed in their face and immediately goes to the next door and gets the door slammed in their face. The more attempts you have at doing the things that are, you know, causing somebody to, to say no, or the more attempts you get, the, the faster you're going to learn. Okay. You know, when I answer, uh, when I call on somebody and I introduce myself in this way, it doesn't work. Uh, when I present myself in this way or when I ask this type of question or I call at this time, it doesn't work. Maybe I should change my, my, uh, uh, my approach. And I think that goes to, uh, to the resilience that you need to have in order to be able to be an entrepreneur, right? It's, it's, it's believing in yourself enough to know that no matter how many times somebody slams a door in your face, getting that, that open door, that opportunity to sell your product, sell your service. And then getting that win is, is going to be, it's going to completely overshadow all the times that somebody says no.
2: So resilience, confidence, identity, you know, as you train people in sales, as you coach people in sales, and, you know, with your experience in sales yourself, any other kind of major themes or categories you see a lot of either in your own journey or as you work with others to improve their sales ability?
1: Uh, you know, I, I see lack of self-confidence all the time. So that's something I'm always going to talk about. And I think that that like the title, Reluctant Entrepreneur, it's, it's someone who is like, I don't know if I want to do this. What if I fail? What if I'm not able to succeed? You try and you try and you try. And you know what? At the end of the day, if you fail, if you don't succeed, there's other jobs out there. There's other things that you can do to support your family, your friends, yourself. It doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world. There were so many inventors out there that had so many failed inventions before they stumbled on something like Velcro uh, to make themselves friggin rich right so it 's really just a matter of like not giving up on yourself. One of my favorite movies I watch with my my little daughter is the greatest showman, and it talks about p T Barnum and how he started the circus and If you watch in some of the scenes in the very beginning of it, they have posters all over the walls and all over the floors and all these other things p T Barnum had something like fifty different. Businesses that he tried to start up and all these patents and everything else that he did in order to make a name for himself. And it wasn't until he f- figured out that utilizing a circus um, to draw people in um, was the way to, w- way for him to earn a living and, and to be successful. Like it just takes one good idea, one, one resilient person to make an everlasting business and
0: uh, be successful. As we wrap up for today. Wait, are we done? We have been going for about 40 minutes here.
2: You can always come back.
1: You, you'd you like me to come back to do another podcast.
2: You can always come <laughs> back. I would like to
1: do another podcast.
0: May, <laughs> maybe like um, one time. Maybe one, you should sell us time. on
2: it. So, give us a pitch as to why you should return
0: Um, you know, so my
1: name is David Malizia. I've been, um, really fascinated with, um, coaching and mentoring in the sales space for You know, the last two years or so, um, I, I ended up meeting some really, really amazing people who gave me this, this insight and passion into myself and how I could help contribute to entrepreneurs across the country. And it's something that I, I, you know, I think about all the time. And so, you know, being able to contribute in this way through podcasts, I think would be, um, would be something that would be very fulfilling and, and help me sleep well at night, you know? So I'd love to be able to get, to do that for you if that's possible. That's very sweet. I think we should have you back then. I think so. Too. But
2: in the interim, where do people find out more about you?
1: Um, so take a look at Hawthorne Union. Um, I actually provide a, a very in-depth um, sales training. It's a four-part sales training. And I uh, I also do, I am in the process of getting my coaching certification to the international coach So I'm really excited about that and how I can help people, not just in sales, but better themselves. And
0: And Diana, where can people find out more about you?
2: So same site, Hawthorne Union, LinkedIn, which you can find David as well.
0: And I am also on Hawthorne Union and LinkedIn as well. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We will have links to all of the goodness that we referenced in today's episode in the show notes. Thank you, David. Thank you, David, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Same. And... Until next
1: time.